Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Crawling Around My Brain podcast. I'm your host, Graham Brown, and I wanted to add a quick prelude to today's podcast with acclaimed author and illustrator Chris Van Dusen. What you will hear in our discussion is about Chris's beginnings as an illustrator and an author, what makes his book so unique and memorable, and also some of our shared experiences in Maine. What you won't hear are the technical difficulties that sidetracked us for a fairly substantial amount of time as we began to record. And I just wanted to thank Chris again for his patience. And as you'll hear in the podcast, he's extremely personable and he didn't let it bother him one bit. I hope you all enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it. stepped up and took a stance while everyone fell as if frozen in a Randy's eye was on the ball. No room for error now. Three, two, one, and flip the switch. A swoosh, and then kapow! A blinding flash, a booming crash. He knew what he had done. Randy Riley had a hit. His very first home run. And welcome to the Crawling Around My Brain podcast. I'm Graham Brown, and today I have the distinct pleasure and honor of speaking with uh, award-winning author and illustrator Chris Van Dusen. Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Graham. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I just want to say it's a real thrill to have you on today. I was speaking with my wife uh, before we had the chance to connect and we were laughing and saying, there are a lot of celebrities that could walk through my front doors and my children would have no interest in whatsoever. But if you came in, uh, they would go absolutely crazy. So uh, <laughs> you're very popular at my house. Oh, that's nice to hear. Thanks so much. <laughs> yes. And I know uh, that you can't see me right now, but I'm holding a stack of your books in my hand. Um, I don't have the entire collection. I am working on building that out, but I have a lot of them. And uh, we were actually introduced to you by a friend of ours, Sarah. And once we got the first book, which I believe was the Randy Riley uh, story, um, once we got that one, we just started ordering the rest of them up. So um, this is this is a real honor and a pleasure for me to talk to you about this stuff. Oh, thanks so much. Now, now how old are your kids, Grant? So I have three children. I have a 10 year old and then I have a three and a half year old and a two year old. And um, later on, I had a question set to go, but I, I, I guess now is as appropriate as ever. What's really cool about your books is that it works for all of them. You know, it's not it's not I mean, obviously, the younger ones can't read the words, but um, the pictures are so um, interesting and impressive that they kind of get immersed in that. And then my older daughter can read them too, because the stories are not, you know, um, necessarily like childish is how I would describe it. Right. So there's, there's some deeper meanings and there's a lot of interesting vocabulary. So it really works across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do try to throw in some challenge words and some, uh, definitely a plot. I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of children's books out now that are just, you know, <laughs> kind of like extended jokes. Uh, but I kind of follow the classic story arc, you know, where you introduce characters and then there's a dilemma or a problem and it's resolved and you know, it resolves down to a, uh, to a nice ending. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty traditional when it comes to storytelling, but, uh, but yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that I was talking to my wife about was really about how 
you know, the stories and some of the children's books that we've purchased, and we've purchased many along the way, in some of those cases, they seem almost like commercials or something where it's like attention grabbing, but there's not necessarily a lot of depth to it. And I was curious if that, you know, it sounds like it's something that you're you're cognizant of just really building out a story, but how do you kind of thread that needle so that the story can work for, you know, a younger child and also for maybe an older kid as well or an adult really? Yeah, there's a term that I just, I just learned. Um, and it's used in movie making. It's called, I'll <laughs> probably get it wrong. So uh, I think it's something called like a four quarter story. And that means that, um, they're, uh, they're, they appeal to, you know, kids, older kids, young kids, older kids, parents, and even grandparents. You know, it's sort of like it covers all bases. It's, it's putting enough in the story to keep everybody's interest involved or uh, engaged, rather. Um, so uh, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, somebody, I, I certainly don't want to talk down to kids. I learned that right when I first started writing books. Uh, a friend of mine said, "Don't whatever you do, don't dumb it down for kids because they are way smarter than you think they are. And if they think you're dumbing it down for them, they will see right through it and they'll lose interest. They just don't want to be. It's almost insulting to them, you know, if they if they realize that someone has, uh, you know, written a quote unquote children's book for kids." Um, and uh and they realize it's been sort of you know it's actually below their level uh they they just they will reject it so so i always try to throw challenge words in there those are words that kids don't necessarily know but may have asked their parent or you know, look up uh if kids still look words up uh but uh you know and it's just it's it, it sort of i think it sort of raises the story to a, a slightly different level rather than you know just two characters sort of talking or or something just kept super simple simply because the author doesn't know that kids can comprehend things <laughs> much higher than than what they perceive so um so yeah that's i i try to do it that way and i think that's probably what adds depth to the story yeah, I 100% agree. And just say, I speak for all the parents when I say thank you very much, because we're doing a lot of book reading. And it's a thrill to be able to read something that I enjoy at the same time, not to say that there, there aren't others that are out there. But certainly when when I say to my kids, go pick out a book, and it's one of yours, I'm like, okay, awesome, this is going to be this is going to be good for me, too. And just as an example of the vocabulary, like in King Hugo's uh, the, the King Hugo story, you have, you know, uh, haughty and squall and, um, you know, in the big truck, little island book, you have transected. I mean, they're, these are big words, but they flow perfectly within the story. And to answer your question, yeah, I think it is true that people still look up words because I know that my kids ask me what they mean. And so the good, you can usually tell you, you make it in such a way that either the picture is describing it or you know, just context clues, you can figure it out, but definitely something that sets you apart as a, as an author, but I wanted to kind of take it back. And I know, you know, I did do a little research for this, so I don't want to make you repeat uh, stories that you've told in the past, but I just, I did want to, you know, just take it back to kind of the origin story and what made you decide to write children's books in the first place. Remember in one interview, you talked about how you were starting off as an illustrator and you were uh, designing uh, swing set instructions. So I don't know if you want to pick it up there, um, but just 
and really, how did you get interested and involved in it? Yeah, let's go back to the past. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was I, I was definitely an illustrator before I became an author. In fact, I didn't write my my first book wasn't published until I was forty years old. So I was a late start. I mean, a lot of my peers are, you know, they had their first books published when they were in their early twenties, mm. and now they've got hundreds of books out. Where I only a, you know, uh, twenty eight or twenty nine or whatever. Mm. Uh, but but so I started as an illustrator, and um, at the time, this was probably in the late nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties. I was doing mostly editorial illustrations, so magazines, newspapers, things like that. But the type of illustrations I really liked doing were, were for kids' magazines. And at the time, there were a lot of kids' magazines. There was, a, you know, just a, a handful of, of really high-quality children's magazines. And they hired a lot of illustrators. And um, and so I, was, I, I found myself kind of working with the same batch of illustrators in these different magazines. And... And then one thing I noticed at the time were, were some of these illustrators were peeling off and they were writing children's books, which is always an interest of mine, but I never really thought I could pull it off. I never really thought that – I knew the publishing world was really competitive, really hard to get into. And so um, I just said, well, I'm just going to stick with the illustration and see where it goes. But more and more of my peers were like – producing these really great books and I thought wow now here's something a little bit more permanent because one thing about when you're working for a magazine or a newspaper or you're doing illustration um you know you're putting your all into the illustration but it's basically a throwaway mm, <laughs> you know right. when people get done with magazines uh, they don't put them in their bookshelves necessarily they throw them in the recycle bin right and uh and so i remember seeing seeing some of my work at our local uh dump uh in the recycle bin and go oh hey i did that and then you kind of think oh hey i did that so uh so this sounds a little this sounds a little bit like king you himself but i kind of wanted something that was going to be a little bit more permanent mm-hmm. for lack of a better term something that's it's not so disposable. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I saw my peers producing some really great stuff, um, because they they were illustrators that were writing, and uh, and so the illustrations were great, and the stories, some of the stories were fantastic too. So I said, yeah, I I was just working one day on an, on an illustration. This idea popped into my head. And I don't know where it came from. I have no idea, but it was a an image of a man and his dog in a boat stuck in the top of a tree. And hmm. I just sort of thought about that. And that nine years later became my first book, which was called down to the sea with Mr. McGee. Yes. So, um, and then once that first book is published, uh, it sort of becomes your biggest business card for lack of a better term. I mean, it, it really gets your foot in the door and if it does well enough, which luckily Mr. McGee did. Um, I was asked by the publisher to do a second Mr. McGee story, which became my second book. And then from there, um, things just sort of took over. And, and I've been doing, I still do a little bit of editorial illustration, but not much, maybe like one illustration every couple of years or so. But it's mostly just children's books, which I really love doing. You know, it's really interesting and inspiring to hear you talk about that story. And I have a, a follow-up question because it, it came, it kind of came through to me in a different way. But, you know, in terms of this podcast, it's about 
uh, it's starting off with things that are kind of passions of mine or things that I find really kind of interesting. And I've had some music and I had a, a board game that stuck with me. But I would agree. I think the books and it's not true for all books, right? There's some books that that resonate in children's books. I mean, some of the books that we have in our house are ones that we've kept right out of maybe the hundreds that we had. There was like five or ten that really stood out. And and I think yours belong in that in that group. But I think that's one of the, the things I thought was so cool is like you're making this art and that it's going to carry on and leave a legacy. And I, I think that's really cool and fascinating. And I also think it's interesting to hear you talk about your personal origin story, because on your website, uh, chrisvandusen.com, which I would encourage everyone to go check out because not only can you buy the books there, which is really cool, but you have a really interesting frequently asked questions page. And it, it was interesting to me because like half of the questions, it seemed like were about what's it like to work in this industry and how do you get started and how do you have an agent and do you need an agent and stuff. And I was like, I thought it was really interesting because people that are motivated to do something, you know, that maybe is a passion, but feels like maybe an impossibility. Those are questions that they have. And I thought it was really, you know, generous of you to be providing those answers, answers for people. So I was going to ask you, did you post those questions, those answers, because you just get asked them a lot? Or just because you felt like, hey, this is something that it took me a while to learn. And so I just want to share this information for people. Yeah, it was probably the former because I did get asked a lot. Um, you know, people would uh, send me emails and say, you know, I've written a children's book. Now, now what do I do? How do I get this? I've written a story. How do I get this published? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I decided to put those uh, a little bit of information on the website. There's not, I mean, it, it, it could, I could have put on like five pages of information about getting a book published, but the bottom line is it's it's just really competitive and unless unless you really want to devote your career to it it's going to be really hard to to get a book published because to get a book published you really need an agent and that's a whole other thing and an agent doesn't want to take you on unless you're really committed to the craft you're really committed to doing it mm -hmm. i mean it's you know, if, if you if you've written a children's book because your grandchildren grandchildren like this story about these kittens or something or whatever, um, and you think, well, maybe I'll try to publish it, yeah, your likelihood is pretty slim because, you know, if even if you did get your book published, the publisher, if it was successful, the publisher should say, okay, what's next? What's what's your next book going to be? And um, right. so it's. Uh, yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky situation. I'm glad you found some of the uh, information on that page useful. Um, it it, it kind of skims it, it it kind of it's a very shallow uh, explanation of how the children's book publishing work, world works because it's really complicated. It's really like I said, it's really competitive. And uh, even if I was if I was starting out now instead of you know 23 years ago. I don't know if I'd be able to make it because it's just so, I mean, publishers, uh, well, first of all, they pay a lot of money to publish a book. So they're, mm -hmm. they're really investing in the story. And if they, and they're only going to pick stuff that they think kids are going to like, that will sell well. I mean, really bottom line is money, right? Right. Uh, if it sells well. And, um, and so if they, uh, they're not, they're, they're really choosy on, on what they're going to, what they're going to publish and who they're going to publish. And, you know, is this person 
have a, a, a unique voice or a unique art style that's really going to stand out. Um, so it's tricky. It's, uh, you know, it can be done and there are, there are agents still picking up new talent, but boy, you really have to have something unique and a, and a unique voice uh, to say it in uh, to really to grab someone's attention. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, when I first read it, I was like, man, this guy, Chris has given away the secret sauce. Like, I mean, we're, now everyone's going to be a children's book, uh, you know, author and illustrator. And then I was like, wait a second, not everyone is going to manipulate gouache in such a way that the pictures are going to be so vivid and so detailed. And I think, you know, just when I was reading about your process and there's actually some really cool videos that you've done one of which with ll bean that i wanted to circle back to but uh what was was amazing to me is when i first saw your books i was like oh it's crazy how far digital uh creation has come like this is really impressive you know and then to get a look in your studio and see you actually painting these pictures and realizing the amount of expertise and artistry and just you know again the time that you're committing to each of these images I, I was taken to another I was totally blown away and I thought to myself man he should sell these as prints you know like surely people would be interested in getting it. and then it turns out on a website you can get some of those which is those iconic images of the robot you know hitting the home run at the you know sorry spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read that one uh, for the robot hitting it out uh, of the park and and so it led me to understand it's like you know you could have the, the basic recipe ingredients for chocolate chip cookies or something like that but to really to make it work and have it be something that appeals to a lot of people it has to be something special and certainly your uh your art is is really it's just a superior visually to most children's books so i guess that's a compliment and then also you know you mentioned that you're maybe inspired by like dr seuss and robert uh, mccloskey and so is that you know what was it about them that you were trying to maybe emulate or or kind of that helped you sharpen your own skill Sure. Uh, well, first of all, a lot of a lot of kids think I work in computers. <laughs> I believe it uh, because <laughs> because the colors are so bright and the, the surfaces are fairly flat. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I don't. It's all gouache. It's all gouache painting. And, and for the people listening that don't know, gouache is a is a paint that comes in the the type of paint I type of gouache I buy rather is uh, comes in little tubes, uh, and you mix it with water. And you can use it a bunch of different ways. You can use it with a lot of water and it sort of becomes like more like a watercolor where you can put washes and blend colors. Uh, or you can use it with fairly little water and it becomes sort of thick and you can cover up uh, you know, mistakes and you can work, you know, toward the foreground by covering up things in the background. So um, so that's why I use it. And I also use it because it's re it reproduces really well. And that's not true of all media because I used to work uh, when I was doing, um, I was working for a greeting card company for a while. And I used these, these dyes, uh, these watercolor dyes, and you'd get these really pretty colors on these illustrations. But then when it came to printing, like you're, 
bright oranges would turn kind of brown your aquas would turn sort of a weird blue and you just go oh what's happening so not all media will reproduce really well but gouache is pretty true to, to i mean what you see in the book is almost exactly what i painted um it doesn't vary much at all um so uh, Dr. Seuss and McCloskey were uh, two of my main influences um, because those are the books I loved when I was growing up. And mm-hmm. my mother would take us to the library like every week, and I'd always run to the children's section and I'd grab you know, as many Dr. Seuss books as I could carry. We didn't have them at home, but I always got them in the library. And those are big books, too. Yeah. I was a little kid with like five or ten Dr. Seuss books under my arm. Um, and um, But I, I think I like Seuss mostly for. Um, his wordplay and his rhyme, obviously. Uh, I, most of my books are written in rhyme. There's only one book I've written that does not rhyme. It's called Hattie and Hudson. Yeah. Uh, but it actually it actually started out as a rhyming book, but uh, I realized I was trying to tell a fairly serious story or a story with more of a message mm-hmm. um, in kind of a whimsical, humorous way. It just didn't. It didn't. It didn't mix. So um, we so have I, we have that one, by the way, and it's uh, been read so many times that the cover has fallen off, and has, we've had to tape it back on. So I, I am an <laughs> I am an owner of that one. I, lo- I love to hear that. <laughs> um, and uh, so, but but uh, so when I was first working on Down to Sea with Mr. McGee, I I would read all the Doctor Seuss books. And I think I have them all, and I, I would just read them over and over again. The only problem with that is when it comes time to writing your own story, you find yourself sort of picking up lines from <laughs> Dr. Seuss. In fact, I had right. this line. I was writing this story, and I showed it to my wife, and I had this rhyming couplet, and I thought it was so clever. I said, and she got to that part of the story, and she goes, wait, that's Dr. Seuss's line. I said, it is? And she goes, yeah. And it turns out, it was directly from the Grinch, almost directly from the Grinch, and and uh, I uh, went back and looked at. It, so, oh my gosh, I got to be careful. <laughs> so you have to kind of find your own voice. Yeah. Um, but McCloskey, uh, I really liked his uh, illustrations more than I liked his words. Although I liked some of his stories were just fantastic, um, but his illustrations were unparalleled. They were just his draftsmanship is just out of this world his, his gesture drawings those make way for ducklings those the way he drew those ducks with just that simple conti crayon and oh they're just beautiful just stunning so um so i probably he was probably influenced my art and the amount of detail in his illustrations i mean it just had he just packed his illustrations full of detail which were really fun yeah and then um and probably the words more maybe the story more for dr seuss and the, the art more for mccloskey so yeah they were definitely big big influences to my work it's interesting that those names appeared and it's funny it made me go back and be like what what did robert mccloskey right and then i started realizing that even without knowing it those are just books that we had gravitated to at the library or that we owned right we didn't even it wasn't a conscious decision unlike your books where we went and we were seeking them out you know for his it was more just like oh yeah this one's really enjoyable and kind of stands apart it's a little different and then i realized oh yes that's the same author uh that did blueberries as a blueberries for sale and then yeah right and then the ducklings book that you're talking about in uh make way for the ducklings and it takes place in boston i think but i was like wow that's interesting that that just naturally we found ourselves 
uh, leaning toward that material. But the other thing I thought was notable there is, so I have a personal connection to Maine that essentially my family has been going to Maine for generations. My grandfather was born on Vinyl Haven, which I know is uh, the location for one of your stories. Uh, and I spent summers in uh, Bremen and my family still has a place in West Bath and a place called Sabino. So I, you know, there, there's a connection for me to Maine. And obviously I know you live in Maine and a lot of your stories take place. So is there, is there something about Maine that you think works well for these stories or is it more kind of just write about what you know? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think it might be part of write what you know. I mean, the landscape, I live in mid-coast Maine, uh, in a small town right on the coast. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a tourist town. Um, you know, the population swells in the summer, but the natural beauty is just incredible here. I mean, we have mountains uh, that lead right down to the ocean. We have a beautiful little harbor with an island with a lighthouse. And it's, it's just so picturesque here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have a big lake. The lake that uh, that I based, the lake in Hattie and Hudson, uh, is in, in town. Um, so I'm definitely inspired by the landscape. Um, but... Uh, and it's it's funny you your grandparent your grandfather you said grew up on vinyl haven yeah he grew up on vinyl haven yep yeah so the circus ship which is probably my most popular book was based on a shipwreck that happened right off of vinyl haven back in 1836 and my latest book which is called big truck little island um is also a story based on something that happened on vinyl haven so vinyl haven's giving me a lot of uh, a lot of material yeah Um, I, I took a screenshot. I like, and it's, I think it's kind of cool how you provide that, you know, piece of kind of the origin story for the book, you know, in the ones where it's appropriate, you know, you talked about those two specifically. I remember sending screenshots to my father and saying, look at this, this is incredible. It was like a reason for me to reach out to him to connect about it because there is a lot of history there. And then I know you said in terms of inspiration for the, if I, you know, built a nope. school or a car, like that series that was an idea that you had had as a, as a, as a kid. Is that right? Is that, is that, was that kind of your inspiration for those? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and those were inspired by Dr. Seuss, um, Mm. uh, quite close to, I mean, uh, when I was, when I was sort of, you know, working my first book and, and reading all those Dr. Seuss books, like I said before, um, one thing I noticed is he sort of had this formula that he wrote or, or I don't know if it's, technically a formula, but I call it a formula, where he starts a story by introducing a character. Usually it's a boy, and uh, he's he's thinking about something, and he imagines something, and then it sort of builds. So each page almost sort of becomes a story in itself. I'll give you an example. So If I Built Books were really inspired by two specific books that Dr. Seuss wrote. One was called If I Ran the Zoo and If I Ran the Circus. Mm-hmm. And it starts with this boy, and like, like – the zoo story starts this boys in this zoo and he said you know this zoo's okay it's almost exactly what i what i wrote but this is okay but you know if i ran the zoo this is what i would do and right. and he talks about each animal that he would bring and capture and bring into this zoo right and they get sort of more and more elaborate as they go and then the very last page you realize 
is he's back in the same setting that he started out in yeah. and um, it's all been his imagination and, right. he, and he did that with the circus and he did it so successfully so i thought i'd really like to write in that style and that formula sort of where the kid imagines something and you don't know if it's real or not it sort of looks real throughout the story and it gets kind of crazier and crazier and crazier until you realize at the end that it's been um just his imagination but i yeah. don't want to copy seuss again like you know you, when you start reading all these dr seuss books you start writing in his style and you go oh boy i really gotta change that around so um so that's why i haven't done a circus or a zoo but i have done a car a house and a school yeah no i i thought it was a, it was a brilliant idea because i mean again it just brought me back i was like oh man i used to take paper out and diagram the stuff and and have it all and say oh this is what i would do and a couple of your features. I think there's a pool and a couple of them. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Especially in, I grew up in Connecticut, so there wasn't a lot of opportunity to get out and go swimming for most of the year. So that to me was always very idealistic and would be included in a lot of my designs. So was happy to see that uh, in yours as well. So that I have a, I, I know I, I said I was going to circle back to a couple other main specific things. So, so let me do that. But before I do that, I wanted to ask you, I, I don't know if it's all of the books, but in a few of them, you have kind of this like, on the inside cover art, there's like this blueprint type look, right? And, and was that was that your idea? Like, was that like as a flourish to kind of show it's either what the character's doing or maybe it's Randy Riley building the robots or whatever, but there's, I think that's a really interesting touch. Was that your idea to do that? Yeah, those, those, uh, those by the way, that's called the end papers. Uh, okay. They're in the front of the book and then the back of the book. And most of the time, most of the times, end papers are just like patterns or just a simple color. Right. Um, some of my books are just a colored paper, and there's no real detail. Hattie and Hudson, I did sort of a an illustration of a lake scene that um, just kind of opens up the book, kind of sets the setting. It's almost like a stage setting for how the, where this book is going to take place. Uh, but for the If I Built books, I thought it'd be really fun to show Jack's imagination. Jack is the boy in the book, his imagination right on the first end paper. So when you open up, uh, let's say, If I Built a Car, the first book in that series, um, you see all these little drawings sort of scattered around in the end papers of, of a kid drawing all these crazy cars with fins and wings and multiple headlights. And, and he's written down little comments and things like that. Um, but I did ask special permission from my publisher if I could not have the same end papers on the front as I could in the back because, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to show the car that Jack describes throughout the book on the front end papers because you'd see all the surprises that happened in the book. Right. So when you get to the end of the book, the closing end papers show the, the car or the house or the school that Jack has described throughout right. the book. So it's, so it's, it's kind of different, but uh, it was just kind of a fun way to add one more little element uh, that kids could have fun exploring. And a lot of kids have, have really, have really enjoyed those end papers, especially in the If I Built books. Yeah. I think it's a, it's just a really nice touch to your point. It's just usually a part I skip over in a lot of books, but in yours, we always spend a few extra minutes on each of those. So uh, very cool. So, okay, I have to circle back to close off the main conversation. There are two other things that really popped out to me. Uh, both were equally impressive and both were almost mind-blowing. The first is that you, I believe this is true, that you designed the lobster for like a special license plate for the state of Maine. Is that correct? 
yeah, yeah, I did. Um, we have one of our specialty plates in Maine is is the lobster license plate. Uh, there used to be one that was designed way back. It was kind of hard to see because it was just a red outline of a lobster, but it was tucked behind the numbers yeah. and letters on the plate, so you couldn't really see it. It just kind of looked like this red sort of smudge hidden by most of the numbers. So uh, this was, gosh, this was several years ago, um, uh, I was contacted by an ad agency that I had done some illustrations for, a local ad agency. And the woman who ran the agency, her husband was the head of the Maine Lobsterman's Association. Oh, wow. At the time, the, the, catch, the catch was down and the lobstermen were really struggling. They weren't getting the money for the catch and, and it was just, it was a really tough time for them. Mm-hmm. And so they proposed this at, this new lobster license plate as a way to fundraise for the Lobsterman's Association. Oh, wow. And so, and when you buy a plate, you have to, I think you have to pay an extra 20 bucks for the li- for the license plate. And that money goes to the Lobsterman's Association just to help them, help the fishermen. So, um, so we redesigned this license plate, and um, and I did the illustration for it, and uh, and yeah, now I see it uh, driving <laughs> driving around in Maine. I, I bring that around. I've got a sample license plate that I bring around to schools, and it always kind of blows kids' minds when I pull that out of the portfolio and say, I also illustrated this because they say, oh, my dad's got that on his truck. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah. As someone who spent hours on the Maine Turnpike, I mean, my father was very committed to going to Maine, so. You know, if not every weekend, every other weekend uh, in season, we would drive from Connecticut up to Maine. I think it was 265 miles, if I remember correctly. So uh, it was a lot of time in the car pre-phone for people that are listening. There was nothing else to do besides harass my brother. But we did do a lot of license plate spotting. And so I am sure that I've spent countless hours staring at that. So that was really interesting to me. And then the second and also the lobster piece, by the way. You know, my whole life, I just assumed lobster was like chicken, right? Because we ate it all the time because we were there. And then it was only once I moved out of the Northeast that I realized it was much more of a delicacy than I recall. So the second thing I think people associate with Maine is L.L. Bean and those catalogs and the store in Freeport. And then I believe you uh, what I read was that you have done 14 L.L. Bean catalog covers. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Wow. So th- that's amazing, and I uh, I would I was just going to ask also if you got a discount on any of the main <laughs> on any of the elevating clothing at this point. <laughs> uh, I don't think I did. Uh, my my son now works for LB, so we sometimes oh, get wow. a little discount, or he can he can get buy things with his discount. But oh, um, nice. But yeah, no, I did that. Uh, that's back when I was doing freelance illustration. Uh, this was pre books. Um, and uh, I worked with some great art directors at L.L. Bean. They were very specific at what they wanted, though. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of leeway. Uh, you know, I couldn't stray too far from the original concept because, you know, you're representing such an iconic brand right. uh, that, that you had to stick close to, to what they had in mind. But, yeah, I think I did, like, 14 covers. Some were well it's probably for context for people it's like it's a catalog for ella bean but it's not like a catalog where you get it in the mail you flip through you throw it away i i distinctly recall visiting people's homes in in maine and it would just be almost like a magazine that was left on the table and then even saved i mean we had a stack of them and you know we weren't like a family of hoarders or anything but it was just that they're not a typical 
you know, like I said, throwaway disposable things. So that I thought that was just a really cool uh, kind of side note. But <laughs> yeah, okay, I've got a couple more for you here. I wanted to ask, you know, you have so much detail in your images, and two things came to mind. One was when you're painting a picture like the living room scene in Randy Riley, where the parents are sitting on these couches and you know Randy's running by and and when when I started looking around I was I was wondering is that something where you're looking at pictures beforehand to get inspiration is that just coming straight off the top of your head from a memory I mean it's so vivid that I was just kind of curious to know I mean it probably it might be a blend of both but it, it is that is that do you have like pages up around you for inspiration as you're doing that stuff <laughs> well that that book you know i've always had kind of my books have always kind of had this retro feel i don't know why i i was born in the 60s you know and mm -hmm. so i i sort of grew up with things that were aqua and uh, orange and streamlined and and just really bright sort of pastel colors and um so i really love illustrating those things mm -hmm. and and also i mean when it comes right down to it, parents really like that too. I mean, parents, you know, go, oh my God. Yeah. I when my second book came out, which is called A Camping Spree with Mr. McGee, it features Mr. McGee in a little teardrop trailer, mm -hmm. a camper mm -hmm. that he takes up to the mountains. And uh, and when I remember when I was signing for that book, I had, I had, I specifically, it was at Allo Bean. It was actually, they had me down to Allo Bean to have a book signing there. And it was right in the lobby. And people came in and this guy came in with his wife and he came over and he said, Oh, I got to buy this book. And I said, uh, do you want me to sign for your kids? He said, no, I don't have kids, but we used to have a camper just like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he needed to have that book. So, um, That's funny. Yeah, I love, I love those things. But to get back to your original question, I do have some books of mid-century modern design that's that's the style i really love mm -hmm. and i decided when i when i started randy Riley, i was going to sort of base it on these these sci-fi movies you know from the 50s and the 60s you know where giant robots invaded earth you know <laughs> it was mm -hmm. kind of like had that feel to it yeah so i really wanted to set it in sort of that 50s 60s era and uh, and so i do have some books on you know, mid-century modern houses. And I did look at some of those and, and the way they had sort of those sunken living rooms and those bricks sort of uh, brick uh, planters that sort of surrounded the living area with cut leaf philodendrons and, you know, all, all these little hi-fis and yeah. big TVs, big boxy TVs and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I do do some reference when it comes to things like that. But a lot of it's out of my head, too. Yeah, it's amazing. Like the couches, the lamps, the plants. I mean, even, you know, small details like the cars that are parked. One one specifically is in a garage and one's under like a, a park lit or something like that. But what's amazing about it is I, I live in uh, Long Beach, California now. And walking my kids around the block, there's a guy who has two kind of classic cars. I don't know specifically what they are. But immediately when they saw them, they're just the tail end. They were like, that's a Randy Riley car. That's a Randy Riley car. And so now everywhere we go, if they see an older car, it's a Randy Riley car. So it's it's really effective. Uh, and mid-century modern is so en vogue again, too. So it's almost like without knowing it, you have uh, you might be able to give design ideas to some people, too. Yeah, um, yeah and, there's, and if you talk about detail, like 
in that illustration you just mentioned where Randy Riley is coming down the stairs to warn his parents about this giant fireball hurling toward their town, you can look on the coffee table and there's there's a magazine and it's actually it's actually a, the a magazine called Look, which is no longer in publication, but it was kind of like comparable to Life magazine. Life magazine yeah. was really big and Look magazine was there and i found a copy of look magazine that i think had general macarthur on the cover or something like that and, if you, <laughs> and you can see if you look really closely i copied that cover and painted it on the coffee table so it's sort of so, i mean it's stuff like that. i spent so much time on it but why am i even doing this because nobody's going to notice that but just, i guess it's just for my own enjoyment but <laughs> well i was going to a lot of details i was going to ask you about that well first of all i'd say keep doing it because it is awesome and that's like you know after you've read something you know 50 times to your kids too it's fun to start to look for kind of more things in the image so like the cereal box in the same story when he's at the has like alien thing on it you know and there's just a lot of specifics like that but i was going to ask you if you intentionally uh drop what you know you call like an easter egg within your stories because i was looking like even some of the numbers of the houses or you'll have like initials and i was like i wonder if he's if he adds things in there like a shout out to your wife or your family or your kids where you'd be like hey you know i put your initials on the license plate or something like that do you intentionally do that kind of thing oh yeah definitely so um so one of the things you'll always find in my books that i wrote not the books i illustrate for other authors but in the books that i've written and illustrated i always hide mr mcgee in the picture in the picture somewhere Okay. Because Mr. McGee was my, he was my first character. So, right. and I thought I was just doing it sort of for my own enjoyment mm-hmm. and, uh, or amusement. And so, so he's always in there someplace. Sometimes he's really tiny. Sometimes he's pretty obvious, but you can always find Mr. McGee in, in the book somewhere. But when my latest book came out, which again was called Big Truck, Little Island, mm-hmm. um, I, I, he was so small. I put him in so small, because he didn't really fit in that book, but I said, I can't leave him out. But I put him, <laughs> put him in the background, very, very tiny. And people, I started, re- when that, right after that book came out, I started receiving emails from people saying, oh, I can't believe you left Mr. McGee out. I didn't even think it was a thing. Oh, that's and funny. Just, and I got these really, I got these really sort of, some, some people were pretty angry. <laughs> I can't believe it. You, you, you know, you've broken the string. We can't find Mr. McGee in this book. Well, it got so bad that even my agent who lives in California, he has two little kids. And when he got the book, they looked through and they couldn't find Mr. McGee. And so he told he told his kids that Mr. McGee had COVID. And that's why. And so he didn't really get a book. But I had to write I had to I had to call him and say, No, no, he's in there. Just he's really small. He's about the size of a grain of rice, but he's in there. So uh oh, that's so, so funny. Mr. McGee. I was I usually put my kids' initials. My kids well, my kids are grown men by now but uh, i i still put their names or initials in there uh somewhere so you'll see some letters in there that uh that kind of um you know reference what they're all about but um, yeah and uh and license plates yeah that's a good place to hide some things too and in big truck little island the license plate on the on the truck that gets stuck on the road um is my dog's name and her birthday oh wow that's great (laughs) well i mean if you're gonna yeah if you're gonna spend up to two weeks illustrating something you gotta have a little something in there for yourself i would imagine you know (laughs) on top of everything 
That's yeah. so cool. Well, some have surmised that you're Mr. McGee, right? And I know you kind of, you've said that that's not, that was not the intent, but is that right? Some people have said, oh, you know, this is Chris within the stories. Is that, is that, is there any yeah, truth to that? People, yeah. And kids, uh, kids in town used to call me, you know, every time and then I'd be walking my dog downtown and someone yeah. say, Hey, Mr. McGee. I'd say, hey. <laughs> but, uh, um, and people ask me if I have a dog named D a yeah. lot, which yeah. is Mr. McGee's dog, yeah. but I don't, I have a dog. Uh, my dog's name is Opal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but we do, um, but the funny thing about Mr. McGee is my wife thinks he looks just like my oldest brother. And, oh, um, and I guess he kind of does, although he really wasn't based on it. It was just sort of a made up character, but mm-hmm. it was funny. My, my oldest brother, uh, he, he worked in an office, uh, a sort of a big, um, call center type office, uh, in Belfast, Maine. Hmm. Uh, he's since retired, but he, people started, noticing that he looked like Mr. McGee. I mean, people that knew the books. And mm-hmm. so they started calling him Mr. McGee at work. Uh. <laughs> so he'd be going down a hall, you know, and he would say, hey, Mr. McGee. And he'd say, hello. But he said, he said one day he was in his office, and uh, this woman that worked, uh, a young woman that worked in the office brought her kid into his office to meet the real Mr. McGee. <laughs> and I had to say to my brother, oh, I'm so sorry you had to go do that. That's so funny. He said, no, it was it was fun. He said we had fun with it. So, but uh, oh but man, no, he's really really just a made up character. Oh, that's so funny. I love it. I think any way to to twist the screws and have fun with your siblings is a good thing. So, um, <laughs> I'm I'm all for that. Well, I I really appreciate it. I I feel like I've gotten to ask. Oh, pretty much every question that I wanted to ask, although I could go on and on. I have, I've been biting my tongue as you've been saying the different book names, because as I mentioned, I've had them all. And, and not only have I read them on a regular basis, but obviously read some through again uh, before we had our call. And, you know, for those who are listening to the podcast that, that haven't read the books, I would just, I can't recommend them enough. So I was going to ask, in addition to going to your local library or local bookstore, is the best place for people to uh, get your books through your website? Uh, you can get them to the website. I think it's a link to uh, your local independent bookstore. Oh, cool. Um, I think that's the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't checked it out lately. But, um, but yeah, that's probably the best way. I, I, I encourage people to support their independent bookstores. Um, you know, they they work hard. They're, you know, they're, they're up against a lot of competition. So I try to support the indies anytime I can. And... Um, but my books are nationwide. I mean, they're all with fairly big publishers, um, Penguin, Random House, Candlewick, Chronicle. They pretty much have nationwide distribution. So if you can't find them at your local bookstore, um, ask. I'm sure they could order them for you, too. Yeah, no, I think it's so cool. I went through and clicked through on your website to one of the books, and I, did, I didn't realize it was a local bookstore, but I did realize that it was it was probably something that was routing me away from you know, just one of the major uh, sellers. So I thought that was super cool. And, and okay, I also would be remiss if I didn't ask what's maybe next. I know it takes a long time for these to come together. And I know that Big Truck, Little Island, did that come out in 2022? So fairly recently, right, for that one. So anything, are you, yeah. anything in the works? Yeah, that was my latest book. Um, 
I do have a book coming out uh, in December, but it's a book I illustrated uh, for Kate Camillo. Okay. Kate Camillo was the author of the Mercy Watson books, mm-hmm. which I illustrated. That's uh, Mercy Watson is the name of a pig character, and the stories are great. I mean, we did a we did six books in the first original series. Then she she wrote a spinoff series called Tales from Deckerwood Drive, and the last book in that series will be coming out in early December. I um awesome it's it's since it's the last book in that series uh that that series has all been black and white illustrations but this last book uh all the full page illustrations are full color and it's about twice as long it's it's a really it's a pretty big chapter book Hmm. um so that will be coming out in december right now I can tell you a little bit about the book I'm working on, but not too much. It's another If I Built book, but that's about all I can say without getting in trouble with my publisher. <laughs> um, that's it's, fine. It's 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 going to be longer than the other books. It's 40 pages instead of 32, and Jack is thinking even bigger this time. Um, and uh, I just had to push my deadline back once again because i'm realizing that there's so much detail and these illustrations are taking me so long that i'm gonna need the extra time so that won't be out for a few years but uh but i promise it'll be worth the wait so that's what i'm working on right now well that sounds awesome and you know i i have to check out the the mercy books i've heard great things as well so i haven't had a chance to read those myself but i want to check those out and also i wanted to just thank you because it's a, a godsend to have we have so many friends that have kids right and now it's a go-to it's like chris van dusen books and the kids love them and it's like a hundred percent approval rating and we're like the favorite people so that was uh that was like i said passed on to us from one of our friends and now we're doing the same thing and so sounds like that that book may be out around the holidays so there you go that's a good one for people to get and then as i mentioned earlier but I would be, uh, I think it's worth re-mentioning is that you do sell the prints for, for some of these iconic images. Yep. Like for instance, one that we revisit all the time is from a circus ship where you have the 15 animals. And I've read that book 300 times and I still have fun trying to find the animals within that image. But images like that, that people that are listening to this who've read your books will know those right away. Like that's a, that's a really cool idea to get a print of one of those for a, you know, a kid's bedroom or something like that. I think it's super, super interesting. Sure. Thanks. So, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Awesome. Well, we will stay tuned to, to what you're working on. I really cannot thank you enough for coming on and spending this time with me. Obviously you're a very uh, busy and accomplished person and it means a lot that you would take the time and I hope everyone uh, has enjoyed our conversation. So Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day and good luck in everything moving forward. Thank you so much, Graham. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. And I wanted to hear more about your story, uh, but I guess I'll have to wait for another time. But uh, (laughs) yeah, thank you so much for for, uh, for having me on. Great, great questions. And uh, please give my best to your kids. I will do. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Okay.